In season four of Mega Dumbcast, I unearthed and punched open the secrets of Shadaloo, buried on each and every goddamn page of the aptly named Secrets of Shadaloo, a supplement for the Street Fighter storytelling game. Along the way, I blazed a trail into M. Bison's island headquarters of Mriganka, where I encountered some of Shadaloo's most intriguing gaming possibilities, yet left many still to be discovered. This week, the time has come to go back. Join me now in revisiting Mriganka. Here we are, day six of revisiting Mriganka, and today is the end, and we're discussing endings. As I mentioned last time, the original World of Darkness games, which were, of course, uh, Vampire, Werewolf, Mage, Changeling, Wraith, Hunter, Demon, Mummy, uh, I feel like Orpheus was in the same setting, but it wasn't, um, it, it's not on this list, uh, Kindred of the East, um, of course, Gilman, don't forget Gilman, Hunchback, another, <laughs> another entry in White Wolf's uh, classic canon of offensive character types no 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 no. there were there were five games or whatever it was and white wolf ended their world they ended the whole pack of lines that made up the classic world of darkness and when they did that they released these ending books these multiple choice ending books for the various lines um because a major thematic element in many of those games was that things are coming to an end right if you're a vampire then you're afraid of gehenna which is when your elders will rise up and consume you. Uh, if you are a werewolf, then you're afraid of the apocalypse, which is an apocalypse, except with a capital A. And if you're a changeling, you're afraid of things getting increasingly boring until you kind of like forget what you were doing. But in any case, the various lines all got endings. Uh, they got these multiple choice kind of ending packets uh, for storytellers to work with, where there's no one prescribed way that the setting wraps up and all the loose ends are tied. But there are a few different ideas for different directions to go. Now, Street Fighter was a White Wolf line. You have to admit, it was a line of games and it was published by White Wolf, as unlikely as it seems in retrospect. And it never got an ending because, number one, it ended long before and the license was lost. And number two, uh, thematically, it doesn't seem like there's inherently an ending to Street Fighter. And we know from real world experience that the Street Fighter franchise never ends. In fact, at the time this game was being published... It seemed likely Street Fighter 2 would never end. There had been like five goddamn Street Fighter 2s and Naria 3 to be found at that time. So, you know, maybe this is not a game that is crying out for an apocalypse in the same way as other White Wolf properties. Nonetheless, as a matter of respect, the Street Fighter storytelling game deserves an ending. It's got this rich, nuanced world. So many loose ends, so many intriguing hints and possibilities that never received any kind of resolution. So I'm here today on the final day of this podcast series to lay out five possible endings to the Street Fighter setting as portrayed in the Street Fighter storytelling game. Each of them is kind of for a different niche, kind of for a different audience, uh, emphasizes a different part of the game. So let's jump right in with ending number one, and this one is entitled Fight Punk. Uh, This ending to the Street Fighter world, it's for those who like a darker Street Fighter, um, those who like the World of Darkness vibe. This is a gritty world, and increasingly so. It is rich in both gothiness and punkiness. And, in case you didn't notice, while you were all wrapped up in who would win in a fight between a Chinese acrobat and a bear wrestler, there is this giant, malevolent, mysterious meteorite kind of at the center of this setting in the hands of a would-be world conqueror. 
just sort of chilling in the background of everything, this ending pays that off. So here's how it goes. You know how there's this big mystery about the meteorite, right? Like only in Bison and Akazan and Akazan's nom de punch, the pugilist, only they have actually seen the meteorite. The reason is, the secret is, in this ending, the meteorite is growing. Bison's powers are increasing, but he is also increasingly animated by a will not his own. And so the time comes when the meteorite reaches a certain critical mass, chunks of it are broken off, as they are for the Theons on Riganka, for their little evil necklaces, and these chunks are delivered to world leaders and other influential people via the usual Shadaloo mechanism. Like, Shadaloo does meetings with these people all the time. Sometimes Bison, or more likely one of Bison's functionaries, needs to go have a meeting with a queen or a president or a CEO of a multinational corporation. I don't know how that works, but it works somehow. And using that same mechanism, Bison or Bison subordinates are also able to just toss in, hey, open this box. And then, of course, when someone says, no, you're in Bison, why would I open a box you gave me? Then in Bison just takes the top off the box anyway. There's a meteorite inside, and here's what happens. The meteorite latches onto the psyche of this person, but it doesn't put them under M. Bison's control. Instead, the meteorite begins to give them power and influence their mind in the same way that it did in Bison's. The meteorite's power is spreading. It engenders psychopower in all these different people, and they begin to get on the same page about world conquest, about cartoonish evil. Maybe their eyes start to glow. Maybe they even begin to physically resemble M. Bison a little bit, because M. Bison's body has kind of changed over time. This explains that, right? The meteorite has a certain template a certain kind of agent that it's trying to create. And so everybody starts drifting toward that bison look. So the world becomes a much darker place because all the people in charge increasingly are affected by the meteorite. And everybody starts acting like an honest to God supervillain, which is fun in comic books, but you know, in real life, as is fresh in all of our memories, putting cartoonishly horrible people into positions of great power uh, does not in fact yield funny results. So you may be asking yourself, in this world, why is it that street fighting is important? Doesn't this kind of moot the whole fist fights in the back alley thing? Well, no. Street fighting is very important to M. Bison and to the meteorite, because M. Bison's next step is to build the psychodrive. Absent so far from the RPG world, now Bison builds it, and he begins drawing power from all the hatred and aggression in the world, fomented by all of the infected world leaders, with Bison as their chief, right? I mean, Bison was the first one affected, the one with the strongest psychopower. So he's kind of not exactly calling all the shots, but he's like the seat of the meteorite's power on Earth. So Bison has built the psychodrive, and he's drawing in all this hatred, all this aggression, and beginning to infect the whole world, in fact, with the poison haze, right? That gnawing like a red chi makes you angry, exploits your existing negative emotions to corrupt your power, turn you to the dark side. There are some, not many, but some, who can fight without generating psycho power, who can fight without succumbing to the poison haze and filling the world with more negative chi to be absorbed by bison and the world full of bison alikes. Those people invariably are street fighters. They're people who have attained to the highest levels of martial arts prowess and can fight without fear, without anger, without dark chi. Only these people stand a chance against the agents of the meteorite because otherwise, you know, if a normal person goes to kill one of these things, the act of killing them, the fear and the aggression and all the negative feelings involved with violence only fuel the fire. So as the world gets darker, it becomes incumbent upon those who are like true martial arts masters who are both able to fight and able to resist the poison haze, they are the ones 
who must evade a world of increasingly ubiquitous evil and make their way to the seat of Bison's power and topple him. Only fistfighting can do the job, which has always been true, but now it's true in a very serious, dramatic way. In fact, the campaign may not be so much about toppling Bison as it may be just about surviving, because Bison is going to be actively seeking out and trying to destroy those who can fight without fueling the meteorite's power. Even if the campaign isn't about taking down Bison, though, there is, optionally, a big finish to this ending, which is the arrival of those who sent the meteorite. Some form of beings from beyond. Are they space aliens? Maybe the end bosses from uh, Forgotten Worlds? which seems to be in the Street Fighter continuity for some reason. Could be. They could be extra-dimensional, like, spiritual beings. They could be literal demons, or they could be something so esoteric we can't possibly understand it with our puny human minds. Once the world is ripe for invasion, once virtually everyone has been corrupted by the poison haze, then these beings who seeded the meteorite on Earth to consume it in flames of hatred arrive to take their place as Earth's rulers through the proxy of bison. And this way, you can have your big dust-up at the end with the destruction of Earth's cities, revenants roaming through the streets like destroying the works of humanity, new advanced technologies spreading across a drastically altered landscape as the new regime comes into being, with only a ragtag assortment of Zen masters and sumo wrestlers and elite special forces agents in swimsuits, etc., to stop the sinking of the human world in a stormy sea of its own hatred. Toward the beginning of this arc, you're going to want your Street Fighters to, like, go into hiding, have to be roaming around back alleys because, like, authorities are cracking down on the underground fight circuit, religious figures are turning people against the practice of any kind of spiritual martial art, start kind of lightly like that, soft pedal it at first, then things get worse and worse, things get more and more authoritarian, the world starts to change around you, and before long, you've got Street Fighters running for their lives from helicopters seeking them out to destroy them from the skies, uh, you've got empty city streets as fascist leaders enforce curfews, draft people into pointless wars, and then that way you've got a nice gradual ramp up to go fistfight actually monstrous beings for the fate of the earth at the very end. So that's option number one, fight punk. A little bit of a uh, cyberpunk vibe there, a little bit of a uh, early Mage of the Ascension vibe with like the technocracy as this giant conspiracy coming to crack down with cyborg soldiers on anybody who's not willing to bow down to the man. But what if you're not so much into that aesthetic? What if you want a more action-oriented, globe-trotting, but also socially conscious, kind of environmentalist Ragnarok? Basically, what if you want to play Werewolf, the Apocalypse, but for some reason you're playing Street Fighter? For you, I have Fight Apocalypse 2, Earth vs. Shadowloo. There are hints throughout the various books in the Street Fighter storytelling game line that things are not right with the Earth. You've got bison seizing these sacred sites, sites of natural power all over the world, seizing natural resources. You've got pollution getting worse and worse, and the earth is reacting to this. Just listen to this from the animal hybrids section of the player's guide for Street Fighter. Quote, few studies of these so-called animal hybrids have been conducted, and pure empirical evidence is both difficult and dangerous to garner. Nonetheless, a couple of theories have been postulated to explain the origin of these aberrations. And then they go on to explain the scientific ish theory, but we don't care about that. The next paragraph says, quote, many people uninvolved in the scientific community adhere to a different theory, the tenets of which are as follows. The hybrids have been possessed by the spirit of the animal and imbued with aspects of that animal to serve some greater good. Many people witnessing the hybrid savagery believe this mission to be one of vengeance. Others suppose that the natural order is reasserting its power over the world and that these creatures are ambassadors from the wilderness. Still others hold the opinion that nature is rebelling against the pollution and wide-scale environmental destruction wrought by modern society. 
Now, neither the scientific nor the mystical theories here get to the real reason that animal hybrids are so prevalent in street fighting, which is that that background is fucking broken, everybody knows it, and uh, no amount of study, enlightenment, or old-fashioned grit will ever make you the match of a well-constructed cyborg ninja wolfman or whatever the fuck you want to build with the ridiculous backgrounds in the player's guide. But that's out of character. In character, the reason that these excessively badass animal hybrids are popping up could be that nature is reasserting itself, it's defending itself. Likewise, there's an elementals background, also, guess where, in the player's guide, that gives you power over one of the four classical elements, and this is aligned with like your spiritual nature, your personality, your temperament. There's also no scientific explanation for why some people are born elementals. So, in this scenario, M. Bison's endgame for Shadowloo is to take over the world in a kind of like mystical, spiritual way, and let everything else fall into place. And he's going to do this by seizing all of the sites of natural power. Um, you know, ley lines, cairns, he's jonesing for nodes, as we discussed in the main season. And the reason is, once he's collected every node, or almost all the nodes, then he will control all the places of spiritual power in the world, and he will have mastery over the very soul of the earth. In response to this, and in response to both Shadowloo and other unaffiliated shitty human beings, destroying the balance of nature, the Earth creates animal hybrids, elementals. As Bison gets closer, the Earth's reaction escalates. Until finally, when Shadowloo is on the brink, through its various governmental and corporate proxies, of controlling like a critical mass of the world's nodes, there's a dramatic explosion of the Earth's power. Nature makes a last desperate bid to stop Shadowloo by stopping humanity if necessary. I'm talking hurricanes. I'm talking earthquakes. I'm talking about Maybe not exactly kaiju, Godzilla's a little big to street fight, but you know, maybe a King Kong. More and more elementals with greater and greater powers. Uh, plant creatures, right, like Swamp Thing. Cities being overrun almost instantly by nature as a combination of natural disasters, rapidly growing plant life, fauna overtaking the area, just seizes towns and small cities, pulls them back into nature's embrace. And of course, these scientists we've been talking about, who are always so smug in their, their precious theories about why you know, some people can randomly psychically control water. These fucking skeptics, they're all scratching their heads, wondering what has happened to the world. Why is all this happening? Everybody is. It becomes front page news. Are these the end times? Yes, they are. But the key to surviving them is to realize that the earth is only destroying humanity as collateral damage. The earth wants to destroy that motherfucker in bison before he can seize control. Now, certainly someone in the player character group will be a focus-oriented character, somebody who loves to throw sonic booms or explosive fireballs or what have you. And as a result, they will have min-maxed their mental attributes, including intelligence, to make their fireballs optimally explodey. And with that kind of intelligence, they'll be able to deduce what the problem is here and determine that the only way to quiet nature the fuck down is to go deal with nature's bison problem. Now that is an accurate deduction, but you can hardly go to the authorities, military leaders, political leaders, the police, and say, excuse me, you don't know me, but I'm an underground pit fighter. I was in the shower this morning, washing the blood of my opponent and my opponent's tiger off me, when I realized the only way to stop all these hurricanes is to go to an island off the coast of Thailand and fistfight this one horrible guy. This will not win the day. You're not going to find a lot of backup on this. You're going to have to do it yourself. And getting rid of M. Bison may or may not solve your entire nature problem. So you may have to deal with some of these so-called ambassadors, these animal hybrids who mainly seem to be out here fucking people up in and adjacent to street fighting competitions, so possibly nature is hazy on what ambassador means, but presumably they have some way to call up Gaia and say, 
hey, listen, humanity killed the worst human in bison, and they wondered if we could lay off the hurricanes for a while. So maybe you have to seek them out, make some kind of deal. Maybe all of humanity will be judged by this band of street fighters, a la Encounter at Farpoint. Or you might decide to team up with nature, especially if you've got animal hybrids or elementals in your player group, and attack Merganka after a natural disaster or two weakens its defenses. And then Crocodile Lady and Fire Guy have to come in in the wake of the tsunami or whatever and rampage across the island and do what all of the weak human militaries couldn't and take down Shadaloo right at its headquarters. There are lots of ways for this to end, but along the way you're going to have big set pieces. Natural disasters make for great backdrops. You're going to have a world in big obvious turmoil and yet also a little bit of that secret world vibe because only those who are in the know understand the details of what's going on and maybe how to stop it. And you get to see Shadaloo fight back against nature. So you really get to see Shadaloo flex its muscles uh, as this world-spanning, vastly powerful organization. Since normally we know they are that, but we see them in the context of applying that power to winning low-stakes pit-fighting competitions, essentially. So that's option number two, Earth versus Shadaloo. If you prefer something a shade more intimate than fist-fighting either with or against the entire planet, may I offer you option number three, entitled Handsome Fighters. This is for people who are mostly interested in what's going on inside Shadaloo, the personalities inside the pyramid, the tensions within it that we're always hearing about, the people who are scheming against each other, the conflicting goals, the politics, the personal enmity, and the fault lines within the organization. And nowhere do we see these things more than in the bitter, out-of-control rib war between M. Bison and Vega. As we discussed many times throughout the main season, M. Bison is the one in charge of Shadaloo. He's rich, he's powerful, he's in control. He's a man uh, suffering from ennui, but very self-possessed. His right-hand man is Vega, an aristocratic Spanish bullfighter slash ninja, the most beautiful man in the world, equally as evil as M. Bison, I would say, but much more selfish and immature, but a man of greater taste, arguably of greater pride, arguably of greater accomplishment in the field of martial arts, and the founder and leader of one of Chatelou's main organizations for carrying out violence, the Spanish Ninjas. M. Bison has engaged in a series of funny but infuriating pranks against Vega, and Vega has retaliated by throwing up deniable obstructions to carrying out Bison's agenda. In the Handsome Fighters scenario, the tension between these two finally reaches a breaking point. Vega makes his play for control of Shadaloo, and he does it by starting a civil war between the refined, rich, and beautiful members of Shadaloo and the more ugly, brutal elements of the organization. Vega's handsome fighters, as in handsome fighters never lose a battle, his win quote, are recruited into the Spanish ninja organization secretly on a mission to take over Shadaloo from inside. Are you a good-looking mob boss in Las Vegas? Vega's gonna visit you. There's gonna be some kind of cloak and dagger bullshit, secret meetings. Maybe he sets a rose at a particular table and that's your sign to sit there and then he comes out in some kind of broad-brimmed fantastic hat to hide his identity and he sits down and tells you about the handsome fighters agenda and he's going to ask you to covertly work for him to take over Shadowloo from the inside only hotties need apply and this way you've got a very natural us versus them scenario bison's trusted generals you know somebody like sagat or balrog they can't infiltrate the handsome fighters they're not handsome enough doesn't matter how well they bluff vega wouldn't have them there might be a couple of very attractive members of the organization who would side with Bison and act as double agents, but most of them are going to be happy to join Vega because, and no slight against global organized crime here, but I think it's fair to say that only a minority of significant global organized crime figures are real lookers, just because that's the way the bell curve works out, right? 
they're going to be happy to join Vega because what Vega is suggesting is, hey, why don't we, the pretty and handsome ones, band together, I'll use my Spanish ninjas, let's take down the rest of the organization, and let's just split all the goodies that currently belong to ugly criminals. Every handsome boss is going to have an ugly local boss who they'd love to take down with the Spanish ninjas' help. And so we get a quiet but noticeable global criminal civil war as Shadowloo agents split along ugly versus handsome lines and struggle to take over global crime. And while this war will rage across the whole world, its decisive battle will have to be fought in only one place, Regonka, the island headquarters of Imbison. If Vega's fuckable forces, both invading Regonka from outside and sabotaging it from within, can take down Bison's stronghold, they can seize the island and take the reins of centralized Shadowloo power from Bison. So what we have here is an ending that's going to start with rumblings in local Shadowloo organizations. This gang has fallen to that other gang. This prominent Shadowloo-funded Street Fighter team has split up. One of them kicked the other one through a window, like Shawn Michaels, when Shawn Michaels decided he'd rather be Shawn Michaels than the guy in the Rockers who would be cute if he didn't dress like the Rockers. All these little things are happening. Shadowloo is clearly experiencing turmoil. You begin to investigate, you follow the clue trail, you become involved in intrigue. The Street Fighter circuit is going to be key to this, clearly. In fact, this would be great if the player characters are themselves Shadowloo agents in some capacity. It's evil versus evil, so this is a great scenario for evil player characters who want to pick sides. You can really get involved in your Shadowloo politics as you move up the ladder and move on from those local gangs and that sort of thing up to like one of the dragons is working with Vega. The other two dragons have their suspicions, but they can't prove anything. Or there's an overlord culling his bosses of any hotties in the ranks who might attempt to usurp him. He's holed up in a secure compound, and he's got guards out there who won't let anybody cute on the premises. So we could go help defend him, or we could find a way to take him down, or we could exploit these tensions and give Shadowloo the means to tear itself apart. Things are going to get more and more political, more and more high stakes, until finally you've got your climax on Regonka, where no one can be sure of anyone else's loyalties, security is ramping up, M. Bison is naturally spending half his time on prosecuting this global war for control of his organization and half his time figuring out how to really stick it to Vega in personal ways, despite the fact that there's a war on. And ultimately, the forces of hotness will rise up on Regonka and you'll have open, evil base warfare, the highest destiny of any evil base. And ultimately, the player characters will probably get a Streets of Rage ending where they fight their way to either Bison or Vega and they can either fight him or he'll offer them, hey, you made it all the way to me. Why don't you help me win this thing? And you can be the new generals of Shadowloo in the new regime. As a final note, in comparing this to other apocalypses for the various World of Darkness game lines, this is the only end time scenario I'm aware of that makes the appearance attribute highly significant. Instead of just sitting there on the character sheet, uselessly taking up space, as in virtually all World of Darkness play. The Handsome Fighters scenario is great for those who want paranoia and maneuvering creeping dread inside the Shadowloo organization for those who want that subtle form of control to spread all over the world and for those who want to fully explore Bison's love of telecom technology I give you scenario number four lobotomatic psychic perfection in this scenario Akazan's religious and media endeavors pay off Bison manages to infiltrate the whole world's telecom like he's got control of content he's got control of the technological underpinnings of all the various different media this Bison can broadcast his face anywhere. He can do the trick from the Street Fighter movie where he can see you on TV and then like FaceTime you somehow through the TV camera. Bison's got total control. That's when he pulls the trigger at last on lobotomatic psychic perfection. The mysterious evil masterwork of Bob and Zara Hoffenstatter at last sees the light of day. 
Lobotomatic Psychic Perfection uses the mind canon technology from Riganka that's used to, like, brainwash people into thinking that they're ethnic stereotype junglemen, that's used to give people all kinds of amnesia, just general purpose destroy brains. The mind canon technology can now be deployed through media across the world. And so Bison begins slowly crushing the wills and subverting the minds of everyone in the world via media. The ultimate goal is that the whole world will lose all autonomy and become mere binge-watching herd animals prone to do anything they're told by M. Bison's omnipresent face, commanding them through every screen. It doesn't happen all at once, because that's not really an apocalypse scenario for your campaign. That's more like, here's why we're not playing Street Fighter anymore. <laughs> that's like, rocks fall, everyone in the world dies, but in a creepy way. The rocks only crush your soul. Two things make this scenario playable. The first is, this effect is spreading quickly, but not instantly. It's affecting places with more media saturation first, and it's affecting people with low willpower first. The very strong-willed and those in more distant places, or those who live lifestyles where they don't interact with a lot of media, those people are going to hold out for quite a while. But of course, there's not much they can do once a certain tipping point is reached, and most of the people in most of the cities are under Bison's command. Secondly, based on the best intelligence, M. Bison's mind cannon to operate on this scale would have to be drawing almost all available power from Riganka, which means... Things like the jamming field, right? The communications and surveillance dead zone, the giant laser satellite, those things are going to be offline and they have to stay offline or lobotomatic psychic perfection is canceled. The mind cannon has to keep sending out its beams across the world's media. Therefore, Riganka's defenses have temporarily dropped until Bison can follow up lobotomatic psychic perfection with actual physical conquest and get his hands on more like power infrastructure. So there's a window. While everyone in the world is slowly being brainwashed, some more slowly than others, and M. Bison is preparing to go out virtually without resistance and take over country after country, starting in Southeast Asia, there's a window when Riganka's defenses are down and the process is reversible. If only we had a brave band of strong-willed, spiritually enlightened individuals who can also wreck M. Bison, or at least wreck his lobotomatic psychic perfector, whatever and wherever that is. Depending on what you're trying to achieve here, you can set the time scale differently. I think it'd be a great cap to a campaign to have a very dramatic thing where this happens over the course of like three days. And so it's an absolute emergency. The player characters have to take like a supersonic jet to the nearest they can get to Mriganka and then just like race onto the island in the 48 hours or whatever until Bison takes over. Alternately, if you want to play with the paranoia a little more and see the effects of people losing their free will, and this kind of uh, wave of numb compliance spreading over people as it's pumped out of their screens, then I'd make the process a little bit slower. Maybe slow, but accelerating. So you start to notice people who are into certain YouTube series. There's a new hit TV show on broadcast TV that nobody can figure out why the fuck anybody thinks it's funny, but it's the highest rated thing in the history of things. You start to encounter NPCs who you have trouble getting them to interact with you or help you because they just can't be torn away from their tablet. These things get more and more obvious and concerning until toward the end of the scenario when we're mounting our raid on Riganka, there are visible consequences everywhere in the streets of so much of the population being completely absorbed by their screens. Like if you remember when uh, Pokemon Go first came out. One final note, if you want to end with a big twist, M. Bison has, per the description in Secrets of Shadaloo, of like VR fantasy room near his quarters. You could do a great twist ending where it turns out that M. Bison is simultaneously playing out World Conquest, both in his VR room and in real life, unaware of the distinction between the two, 
because Akka motherfucking Zahn got into his VR room programming and lobotomatically psychically perfected Bison, so it's actually Akka Zahn who's pulling the strings. Just a possibility. Just a thought. Akka Zahn is shady as fuck, and if we've got five end-of-the-world scenarios, he needs to be behind it in at least one of them. Finally, and this is just me doing my bit to give back to the Street Fighter storytelling game that has given me so much over these many years and this last season of podcasting, there are lots and lots and lots of, like, rumors and whispered things dropped in the text of the various Street Fighter books. But there are only so many Street Fighter books, so most of those things are mentioned once, where a player could see it and say, hmm, I wonder what's going on there, but there's nothing going on there. There, It doesn't appear anywhere else. All these rumors, no payoff. Until today. The final fight apocalypse is number five, entitled The Rumors Were True. I did a search through the text of the 20th anniversary edition of Street Fighter, the fan compilation of the Street Fighter texts, which you can find online. I did a search for the word rumor, as well as some other words, but they didn't turn very much up. I made a list of all the things that are, quote, rumored in the Street Fighter line. Those things are hidden cities of gold in South America, that Bison used to work for Soviet intelligence when he was the dictator of Thailand, he was betrayed by his superiors, and he now seeks revenge, that Shadaloo is pushing for deforestation in the Amazon and no one knows why, that there is a non-street-fighting intelligent ape living in the Congo, uh, that there is a group of Middle Eastern fighters practicing the skills of an assassin order from the era of the Crusades, and they're developing a fighting style based on whirling dervishes, that Bison can use his, quote, dark powers on someone after he beats them in combat, which is why he's so concerned with street fighting, that there is a fighter with kangaroo kicks and aboriginal magic in the Australian outback, uh, that a UFO crashed in Siberia, that there is a secret school of Wing Chun Kung Fu in the Amazon basin, that there are Baraka schools in Spain, that's a Middle Eastern fighting style we didn't talk about because it's in a later supplement, that there are capoeira schools opening in Florida, that, you know, that special maneuver ghost form that lets you turn intangible, the first monks who mastered it became trapped in ghost form and still wander the world. That Bison has some of his servants secretly mind control. That there is a sensei who knows the secret of ghost hand kung fu and will teach it to whoever wins their tournament. And that there is someone who will teach you the secret of the scorpion kick maneuver. That is, by my count, 15 rumors and not a payoff to be found. So for those who just can't stand to leave these burning questions to burn, I've created an end scenario that will incorporate and explain every rumor that is pointlessly raised across the game line. So here we go. Some years ago, after the end of the Soviet Union, M. Bison was seeking revenge on his ex-spy masters in Russia. So, to harm that nation and to sabotage his KGB buddies who are going to attempt to profit off of nuclear weapons and rebuild with nuclear energy in the post-Soviet era, M. Bison dug up a destabilizing weapon based on an offshoot of the Manhattan Project to crash in Siberia to make all of the nuclear technology in Russia go haywire. And in fact, this happened, but it was mostly covered up. But more importantly, if you're a street fighter, a side effect of bringing all these nuclear weapons partially out of phase with reality is that five ancient kung fu masters came back into phase with reality. These are the ghost masters of the lost forms of kung fu, the five elders of Shaolin, who were the first to discover ghost form, but couldn't return to their mortal forms and have been wandering, sitting on their kung fu knowledge for all of these years. Now that they're back, they're all choosing disciples because the world is on the precipice of destruction and only kung fu can save it. By the way, the world is on the precipice of destruction. More on that later. Among the disciples of the returned Shaolin elders, who are scattered across the globe after all this time, there is 
a pacifist chi master ape in the Congo, representing the lost gorilla-style kung fu. There is an Australian aborigine representing the lost kangaroo style. The elder who invented Wing Chun is still looking for a worthy apprentice to learn his evolved form of Wing Chun, boa constrictor style. This Shaolin elder is hiding out in a secret golden city in the Amazon. And likewise, the returned master of the lost scorpion style is atop a Himalayan peak waiting for a worthy person to come to him to learn the fabled scorpion kick. Most importantly, the evil Shaolin elder, there's always one, he is the master of the lost ghost style kung fu, and he is holding a tournament in China and will teach the ghost hand kung fu maneuver to whoever wins the tournament. Now, M. Bison is aware that these elders have returned. He wants the secrets of their kung fu. He's only managed to learn the location of one of the elders. He knows that the master of boa constrictor style is hiding in the Amazon. So he has Shadaloo frantically pushing deforestation in the Amazon rainforest to try to find this hidden city. That's the blunt force method. He also has another plan. Bison held a tournament and included Blanca so that he could defeat Blanca in combat and therefore use his dark powers on him. Blanca is now Bison's permanently mind-controlled servant, and Bison is using him as a sleeper agent to gain the trust of all the martial arts types in Brazil and attempt to find the Sifu hiding in the Amazon basin. The city is extremely well hidden, however. The only way that students are able to find it is that the Sifu enlisted a local capoeira master to set up a capoeira school in Florida to secretly evaluate and recruit students to go back to the Amazon basin to learn boa constrictor style. So the world is on the precipice of destruction, you'll recall. That's because Ghost Hand Kung Fu is unbelievably powerful. Whoever masters Ghost Hand Kung Fu, now that the Ghost Realm has been unsealed, will inevitably conquer all other martial artists, and therefore the world. Everybody wants to enter this tournament to learn Ghost Hand Kung Fu, including the player characters, who, as they get involved in the tournament, will gradually learn about all this other stuff. Probably the multiple rounds of the tournament are set months apart, so the PCs have time for globetrotting in between their tournament fights. Along the way, however, the competition will turn deadly, and the player characters will discover that they are being targeted by the Order of Assassins, who have persisted in secret since the time of the Crusades, killing people with a whirling dervish-based fighting style, and learning, by force if necessary, the greatest maneuvers of the greatest martial arts masters in the world. The players may initially think that they are being targeted by Spanish ninjas, which will force them into conflict with Vega and get them involved in all that Shadaloo business, but eventually they will come to discover that the Spanish ninjas who've been attempting to kill them are not just Spanish ninjas, but Spanish ninjas who are deep cover agents for the Order of Assassins. This more ancient, well, Order of Assassins, that has a secret Baraka school in Spain. That is every outstanding mystery and loose end of the Street Fighter setting tied up. Please don't talk to me about anything from the book Contenders, that book is full of fucking weirdos, not all of whom are fully explained. A gonzo backstory is not the same thing as an unresolved mystery of the world. Like, yeah, there's a Shoggoth in that book, and there's no explicit discussion of, like, where Shoggoths come from or what their existence, let alone their participation in combat sports, means for the Street Fighter world. None of that's explained, but it's not a mysterious rumor. It's just a weird fucking thing that happened that we walked on by. Same thing as the fact that, as I brought up before, M. Bison I guess, employed the services of a wizard to summon a dragon man in that book. And the dragon man is from a world of dragons and is trying to get back to the world of dragons. So I guess there's a world of dragons. There are a million questions you could ask about a world of dragons, but you could also not ask those questions. And that is the strategy we will employ in this podcast. This has been about all those little rumors and insinuations in the text of the game that seem like they're covering up some kind of secret. 
but then the secret is never revealed. Now the secrets have been revealed. And I can, in good conscience, put the Street Fighter RPG portion of Mega Dumbcast to bed. Thanks for joining me for Revisiting Riganka. I apologize for the slightly janky release schedule. I hope it has been a fun ride nonetheless. Before I go, let me give everyone an update on what's coming next for MDC. Over the next three weeks, at some point, a few things are going to be released for patrons over on patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Number one, the delayed Ravnos episode of Fuck, Mary Slay is coming anytime, and I appreciate your patience on that. The Setite episode of Fuck, Mary Slay, which is coming on the 13th of this month, should be on schedule, so we'll be getting two Fuck, Mary Slay episodes this month. In addition to that, there's going to be a little more Street Fighter content for patrons only. I mentioned in this episode the handsome fighters never lose a battle quote from Vega. I'm going to be taking a skeptical but open-minded look at the idea that more attractive fighters tend to be more successful in combat in the Street Fighter universe. And I'm going to do this by taking a look at how the win-loss records of various Street Fighters look in adaptations across media, and how hot I feel those Street Fighters are based on multiple metrics, like their appearance rating in the Street Fighter storytelling game, for example, and also their appearances in the Street Fighter swimsuit specials by Udon. Which Street Fighters routinely get punked out in adaptations? Which Street Fighters are strong in virtually every battle in every medium? Which Street Fighters are hot in swimwear? And which ones are extremely hot in swimwear? All of these findings will be revealed to patrons over on patreon.com over the next three weeks. Then, starting on either the 17th or the 24th of this month, daily MDC will begin again as Season 5 kicks off. And Season 5 will be about a trio of adventure modules for the old TSR Marvel Superheroes role-playing game. It's going to be a great chance to look at another role-playing game that was important to my childhood, in this case my early childhood, and to season all the RPG dumbness with the extreme dumbness of deep Marvel Comics lore, which is pretty well represented in these three modules. I'm excited. In fact, I'm so excited about it that I'm going to stop recording this and start recording that right now, like right this minute. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you for season five. This has been Revisiting Mrigonka, a bonus series from Mega Dumbcast. Contact me or check out the show wherever you want. I am Mega Dumbcast on Podbean, Twitter, Gmail, Instagram, your podcatcher of choice, etc., etc. Street Fighter and all associated trademarks are property of Capcom. This episode's music, used under a Creative Commons attribution license, is Tired Traveler on the Way Home by Andrew Codeman, whose work you can find at raskazoff.com. That's R-A-S-S-K-A-Z-O-F-F.com. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'll bust you like a nut.